You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now present the Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Health Hub. I'm Kathy Biasse, and along with our producer, Alex Diaz, we'd like to welcome you to the show. Good morning, Alex. Good morning, Kathy. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing excellent. Thank you. I have your phone. <laughs> I just re- <laughs> Yes. That's uh, okay. You can do without it for an hour, right? Yeah, that's no problem. <laughs> I think that's one of the th- things that I was working hard to do this weekend. I had family over. And uh, had fun with them at the ROM for sure. Oh, that's well, you've succeeded because you've left it right beside me. So I'll, I'll give you a wink if, if I get any cool texts coming. All right, thanks. Okay. <laughs> we actually have family in too from Italy. Yes, you did mention that last week, I believe. Yeah. How's that going? Very well. It's been a whirlwind. I'm, I'm actually really starting to appreciate our city. You know, when we go away to places, you know, Boston, some of the big cities, mm-hmm. Chicago we've been to, I, I really look hard at places I want to see and, you know, do a lot of Google preparation. And, uh, you know, I've, I've been remiss in seeing downtown Toronto with, uh, I call them my Italians. We have traveled, we did a whole downtown tour for a day. You did the hop on, hop off bus. Have you ever done that? No, I haven't. Oh, that's amazing. We've done that in New York. And it's, you know, it it takes you, it took us all through the, you know, the, the key areas of downtown Toronto, as far north as Casaloma. And you can get on and off, and that coupled with a a, a pass, a, met, a pass. I don't know what's called a Toronto pass. It gets you into a, a whole whack of sites, and it's been great. We went to see the Rogers Cup last night. Yeah, oh, excellent! I went. I went. I was fortunate enough to go last year. I had a lot of fun. Oh, who, who did you go and see? Uh, we saw Williams and Begu. Begu, I think she's from Romania. Oh, okay. And uh, other than the uh, the one and a half hour rain delay, it was great. Yeah, it started quite late. I think it started at 11, at 11 o'clock. I think that's when I was heading to bed. But, but it actually, it ended right around, what started at, uh, it started at seven. Oh, did it? Okay. And we thought we'd be out of there in short order if the match was going that way. And then... The, the skies opened up and we stood around for about an hour and a half and they, they cleared the courts and uh, we watched the end of the match, but uh, they do it really well. You park, they shuttle you into yeah, the... Yeah, it's, it's very well organized for sure. Very well organized. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it and I really enjoyed the women's tennis and we were very fortunate to, uh, to see Williams. So that, that was great. One of the girls that were, that were traveling or that's traveling here is, is a big tennis fan and she was quite happy to see Williams, you know, a big name. Mm-hmm. So that's that's uh, that's my week in a bit. It's been a whirlwind, but it's been a lot of fun. A lot, a lot of fun. We're very blessed to have the, the family that we do. Honestly, I have to say, from my side, which is big, to my husband's side, which is big, one, one big happy family. So today we have an interesting topic. We're talking about celiac disease with Selena DeVries and... I just did a little, a little bit of a, of a Google search on celiac disease. I, I know what the disease is. I just wanted to see. I seem to be hearing about it a lot more. People who are uh, wondering if they have. I have a cousin who was just tested for celiac disease, wondering because she has, has some issues. So a lot more people are becoming um, aware that this does exist. And the stat that I have, I, I think it's from a couple of years ago in Canada, but one in 133 people in Canada suffer from celiac disease. And we're going to get into exactly what that is, but it, it's quite, um, it can be quite debilitating and it, it can really cause many, many health issues. So we have a, an expert on, Selena DeVries, as I mentioned. She's getting up nice and early for us today. She's out west. It's 8 o'clock their time. Selena DeVries is a registered dietitian. She herself has celiac disease, and she helps individuals discover freedom uh, with their food. 
Health Bean Nutrition, which is Selena's um, website, is a virtual digestive health clinic that sees clients with conditions such as celiac disease, but also irritable bowel syndrome or inflammatory bowel disease uh, and and many other um, intestinal and digestive issues. Her expertise has been featured on Alive Magazine, Global TV, Huffington Post, BC, and many other publications. We are live today on the Health Hub. Please do call in if you have any questions at 416-245-1534 or tweet at us at Kathy underscore Biasse, and we'll be happy to answer your questions. When we get back from our break, we will be talking with Selena DeVries. At 20 years of age, I'm still looking for a dream. Awards already waged for my destiny. But you've already won the battle and you've got great plans for me. Though I can't always see. Cause I got a couple dents in my fender. In my jeans Try to fit the pieces together But perfection is my enemy And on my own I'm so clumsy But on your shoulders I can see I'm free to be me When I was just a girl I thought I had it figured out My life would turn out right And I'd make it here somehow But things don't always come that easy And sometimes I would down Cause I got a couple dents in my fender Got a couple rips in my jeans Try to fit the pieces together But perfection is my enemy And on my own I'm so clumsy Sometimes I believe that I can do anything Yet other times I think I've got nothing good to bring But you look at my heart and you tell me that I've got all you see And it's easy to believe Even though I got a couple dents in my fender Rips in my jeans Try to fit the pieces together But perfection is my enemy And on my own I'm so clumsy But on your shoulders I can't see I got a couple dents in my fender Got a couple rips in my jeans Try to fit the pieces together But perfection is my You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now continue with the program, The Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. Welcome back, everybody. We are live. Please give us a call at 416-245-1534 or tweet us at, at Kathy underscore Biasi or at TH, uh, sorry, at Radio Maria Canada, Radio Maria Can. We are on with Selena DeVries and we're talking about celiac disease. Good morning, Selena. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you so much for getting up early and talking with us. This is a a topic that I'm hearing more and more about every day. Oh, I know. It's absolutely, there's a lot of people suffering with symptoms um, unnecessarily. And 
I'm happy to be here to share some more information about celiac disease and non-celiac gluten sensitivity. Well, that's great. Now, you you were diagnosed yourself. Can you tell us about your history? Yeah, absolutely. So I was actually diagnosed pretty recently in 2013, so about four years ago. And at that time, previous to that, I was going through school um, as a dietitian. And so I was... um, you have a little friend in the background? <laughs> I do. Yeah, the beauty from working from home. Yeah, right? I know exactly. <laughs> I know exactly. No worries at all. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, I was working as, a di- uh, as an intern dietitian. So, basically, when you're a dietitian, you go to school for four years, and then your fifth last year is uh, basically a medical residency, but basically all nutrition-based. Mm-hmm. And I was just exhausted all of the time. I remember counseling clients and charting on them in the office with my eyes, um, just glaring over, like I, brain fog, like you wouldn't believe. And so, you know, as a dietitian, I decided to look into it. You know, was it an anemia? What was going on? And I did ask to be screened for celiac, knowing that um, those symptoms could be uh, celiac disease. I certainly at that point didn't think I would be celiac at all, but I just thought I would rule it out. And when we did do the test, the, the celiac blood screen came back slightly, slightly elevated. Um, and at that point, the doctor actually told me that um, I might only be gluten sensitive. Um, but being a dietitian, I, I was very lucky to kind of advocate for myself and um, to ask for a referral to a gastroenterologist for some further testing. And when they did the further testing, which is an endoscopy, which is a, the second procedure you would undergo after a positive result, came back positive for celiac. Um, and so a lot of those symptoms I was experiencing, although they're not the typical symptoms you would think of with celiac disease, um, it definitely was for me. Oh, well that, so, so so you can be diagnosed at any point in your life. Absolutely. Celiac disease, well, about 40% of the pe- uh, people in North America have the genes for celiac, but only 1% of those people will develop celiac disease. And it really can, you can have the gene, but you need to have an environmental trigger to express that gene for celiac disease. Um, so it absolutely can show up at any point in life, from elderly to very young, to your teenage years, to your adult years. Okay, I want to get back to the environmental trigger. But first, I think what maybe the, the best thing to do is, is start off, maybe you could tell us, uh, give us a bit of the physiology and, and explain exactly what celiac disease is. Yeah, absolutely. So celiac disease, it's an autoimmune disease condition. And what happens is the absorptive service of the small intestine where celiac disease um, damages, the most damage is apparent in your small intestine, is damaged by gluten. So what happens is the body, when you are undiagnosed, you eat gluten, and the body identifies that as a foreign invader. You know, it's very, very bad. It wants to attack it. And unfortunately, there's some missed signals going on there. And instead of the body actually attacking the particle gluten, it goes ahead and attacks your small intestine instead. And that's your autoimmune component. Okay. So what happens on your small intestine, I'll go a little bit further there, is you have little absorptive surfaces called your villi which absorb many of your nutrients. And so when those get damaged, you get malabsorption of protein, fat, carbohydrates, vitamins, minerals, which are all necessary for good health, as you could imagine. So when we talk about the environmental triggers, I'm just trying to get it straight in my head. You're not, you're born with the gene. And is it, would Mm -hmm. you, would you explain an environmental trigger in, in a celiac person as eating too much gluten or is it just gluten in, you know, just the fact that they're eating gluten or is it, because I know um, these days gluten is in so many, so many different things. And is that why maybe we're seeing a rise later on in life? We're overeating gluten or is, is that the right road to go down when we're talking about environmental factors? 
Well, the honest truth is we don't really know the exact trigger, but it's not that simple as eating too much gluten. I would say it could be any sort of stressful event in somebody's life. So it could be a very severe traumatic event um, that has nothing to do with your diet at all. And that could be enough to trigger for celiac to come about and you start to experience symptoms. Um, it could also be from a very just poor diet in general. So when we talk about like a typical westernized diet, um, if you're more susceptible to developing celiac, you have the gene for it, definitely a poor diet could contribute um, to the development of celiac disease. But I wouldn't say, and we don't really know, honestly, there is no research to support that it's from too much gluten or that it's from the cross-hybridized gluten um, that we kind of grow here more so in, in North America. Then would you be seeing fewer children? Is this something that sort of perpetuates itself as people get older? Or do you have um, a clientele that does encompass a number of younger people? I get a mix of both. I would say the majority of my clients are more adults. But lately, I would say in the last year or so, I've definitely seen more children um, come into my practice. And I even heard, I haven't had clients this young, but I have had uh, heard of clients being diagnosed as early as 14 months. Wow. Um, so super, super young. I knew somebody that went a long period of time suffering and celiac disease wasn't really brought up as an issue that she might have. Do you find that now people are becoming more aware of this and they're testing a little bit earlier? I think it definitely depends on your doctor. Okay. Um, I still find a lot, even in my own practice, that there seems to be a barrier out there with um, general practitioners on celiac disease because I think, I believe, you know, and there is, there's a gluten-free fad component out there. Mm-hmm. And I think that has kind of, kind of, you know, connected with the GPs and said, oh, well, you want to just, you think gluten's a problem for everything, your symptoms are kind of all in your head. So unfortunately, there is a lot of doctors still who um, don't screen for celiac when necessary. And in all honesty, there's so many symptoms of celiac disease. It can affect multi-system symptoms in your body. Um, And if somebody's feeling unwell, usually I always would screen for celiac. There's very little times that I would suggest not screening for celiac disease. Is the is the screening a um, an onerous one? Is it a quite invasive? Is that a reason that it's not done? It's actually a very simple blood test. So it's as simple as going and checking your iron levels at the lab. It's it's a one vial um, blood draw, looking for your antibodies against gluten. So when you ingest gluten, and you do have celiac disease, your body would make uh, antibodies against that gluten protein, which is called your tissue transglutamase. And that's what they would be looking for in that blood screen. So it is, and then you said in your particular case, you had an endoscopy done? I had both. So basically in the diagnostic procedures for celiac, you would first do the celiac screen, which is that blood screen. Um, And depending on the lab, you know, the level which is normal, is usually 16 and lower. Okay. Um, so if it becomes elevated above that, the next step is to get a referral to a gastroenterologist for the gold standard testing, um, which is an endoscopy. And that is definitely more of an invasive procedure because that's when they kind of put you out and they put something down your mouth into your small intestine and take biopsies to check for the damage of celiac. Is, is there a, a repair mechanism that can happen or is, is the, the loss of the VLI or the functionality of the VLI a permanent state? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, the, once you've been diagnosed with celiac and you start a strict gluten-free diet, those VLI will grow back. Um, Interesting. I did not know that. Yeah, yeah it's amazing news. So then your body starts to absorb all of those vitamins and minerals, the proteins, the fats, the carbs, um, and then a lot of those symptoms of celiac start to subside or that hopefully will start to subside. But yes, they're fully able to recover. 
That that's great. I actually did not know that at all. That's that's great news. So how long is the the period? Would you say so? You're diagnosed with celiac disease. Um, is there medication involved, or is it strictly um, a gluten avoidance? That's the protocol. Yeah, so the treatment for celiac disease right now is a very strict gluten-free diet, although there's lots of research happening right now in terms of um, potentially um, shots um, when you're young as well as medications, but it's still in the research stage. So right now it is a strict gluten-free diet is the treatment. And then how would you, in, in your guesstimation, say that that repair process would be? So the average response is about six months to 18 months. And that's for those celiac antibodies, that first test that you would undergo, drop into a normal range. And it can definitely vary, um, but that's the average amount of time. That's very that's very quick. It is, yes. Yeah, so people can be rest assured that, you know, you're not going to be living with these terrible symptoms for, you know, years before you start to see an improvement. It really is pretty quick. So in your, in your personal situation, have you done any testing with yourself going back onto gluten, seeing how far along you may have progressed? Or is that something that you just, that's not something that you, you think is a good thing to do? No, definitely not. I would, okay. would never recommend reintroducing gluten back into the diet. Um, because your body with an autoimmune disease component, when it's making antibodies like that, it'll never forget to, to not do that. Okay. So you can definitely keep celiac disease in remission by following a very strict gluten-free diet, but you can never revert back and, and eat gluten. The, body, the same response will happen. Your body will start making those antibodies, and it'll start to damage those VLI on the small intestine again. Something you live with the rest of your life. It is, yeah. Now, what is the difference? We're, we're coming toward our first break. I, wanna, I want you to help us distinguish the difference between full-blown celiac disease and a gluten sensitivity? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So basically with celiac disease, like I've been talking about, is you get that damage, right? There's visible damage with the villi that are either shortened or flattened and they're not absorbing any nutrients. And that leads to a, you might have heard of this term before, like a leaky gut or yes. an intestinal, right? Yeah, holes in your gut. And that allows gluten to escape out into the bloodstream. And that is just not a good thing to happen. No food particles should get into the bloodstream. Um, and then with gluten, non-celiac gluten sensitivity, a lot of the symptoms overlap with celiac disease, but we don't see that autoimmune component and we don't see that visible damage to the intestinal lining. So the intestinal lining is fine. It's healthy. There's no holes in it but they're still experiencing symptoms um, of celiac disease, but not to the same extent to somebody actually living with celiac. So it's um, more, it's not as strong. So I'm going to put you on the spot here just before we leave uh, for our break. Do you, uh, understanding your expertise and the people that you deal with, would you recommend to everybody to stay on a gluten-free diet? Or do you find that that's, that's really important for people that, that don't have any sensitivities? I definitely don't recommend the gluten-free diet for everybody. Okay. Um, because I, I don't feel that gluten is evil for, for everyone. For certain people, definitely with celiac, perhaps with digestive issues, gluten can tend to be more of a problem, but over-restricting the diet can also lead to problems down the road too. Um, so it's not something I would typically suggest. Oh, great. I think that uh, people have taken a, a great big sigh of relief, I think. There's so many, yeah. you know, there's so much of this on the bandwagon of avoidance, of avoidance, of avoidance. It's nice to have, mm-hmm. you know, hear your opinion that, you know, people that don't have an issue should really be having a, a diet that's full of many whole foods, of course, we're talking about. Yes. but. Gluten is a component of that, and um, good to hear. I'm glad to hear that. It makes yeah, me absolutely. it makes me feel good with what I preach as well. So good to hear. So we're going to head into a break, Selena. It'll be about okay. uh, two or three minutes, and then we'll be back to talk about some symptomology and some of your your ideas for dealing with celiac disease. Great.
thing on your mind today It always goes to those who don't deserve It's the opposite of how you feel When the pain they cause is just too real Takes everything you have to say the word Forgiveness It's always anger's own worst enemy Even when the jury and the judge Say you got a right to hold a grudge It's the whisper in your ear saying set it free Forgiveness Set a prisoner free There is no end to what its power can do So let it go and be amazed By what you see through eyes of grace The prisoner that it really frees is you Forgiveness Welcome back, everybody. We are here with Selena DeVries. You can call in, as mentioned uh, just a minute ago, at 416-245-1534. Tweet at us at, at Radio Maria Can or my personal Twitter account at Kathy underscore Biasse. Selena, we have a couple of questions, if you don't mind answering them. It's, it's a good lead into the second half, actually. And I'm going, yeah, to, I'm going to group them together as, as one. Um, someone tweeted in, what, what are the symptoms of celiac disease? And I think they're wrestling with the second question that was tweeted in. So what are the symptoms of celiac disease? And at what point would you suggest asking for testing? Yeah, that's a great question. Okay. 
when you look at the symptoms of celiac, they are literally multi-system. They affect all parts of the body. So typical ones that people think of with celiac or like a digestive disorder would be things like diarrhea, constipation, bloating, gas, intestinal pain, which certainly can be part of celiac. But can also be um, things like joint pain, brain fog, rashes. Um, depression, anxiety, irritability, um, and some other things that I definitely would suggest checking uh, for celiac is anemia that doesn't resolve with supplementation. Okay. So if you have been iron deficient for many years and you're not even responding to the supplement, so you're not absorbing that iron from the supplement, there's something going on. There's some sort of root cause of why you're not absorbing that iron. Um, so that is a common one that I see very often in my clientele is they've been taking supplements for anemia for, for many, many years. It doesn't ever bump up their ferritin, which is their stored iron levels. Um, and I say right away with screen for celiac disease in that, in that um, situation. Is there any other physical damage to the intestinal tract with celiac disease? Would you uh, w- ulcerations, would that be um, something that might come with a celiac disease or no? Not, I mean, it's not necessarily correlated with celiac disease. Definitely, you might have reflux. Um, you might have a history of ulcers like in your stomach. Um, that could be related to not, you know, to not absorbing your nutrients, but it's not necessarily if you have ulcers to get tested for celiac disease. Okay. Maybe that's a road that I'd like to go down and be educated on. So when we're talking about, uh, so we have to go a little bit deeper than just the gluten sensitivity as being an issue or a trigger for some of these symptoms. What are the other real concerns? We talked about uh, malabsorption. Maybe you could explain to us a bit more what you mean by that. When you're not malabsorption, what other things can manifest from malabsorption? Absolutely. So this can lead to many conditions down the road. So things like osteoporosis, you're not absorbing any of your bone health nutrients. So we can actually see like a low bone density scan um, and have early onset osteoporosis happening in somebody with celiac disease. You can actually get multiple miscarriages, infertility. Um, So this is all related to malabsorption of your nutrients in your body so if you're having recurrent miscarriages, that's another you know, symptom or condition where we would look at testing for celiac disease. Why is this happening? Um, same with thyroid conditions. So a lot of celiacs actually are diagnosed with Hashimoto's hypothyroidism, um, and they might be diagnosed with hypothyroidism first and not for years after be diagnosed with celiac. And there is definitely a connection there with celiac disease and hypothyroidism. And another one that's very much connected with celiac disease is type 1 diabetes. And this is another autoimmune condition. Um, So any other autoimmune condition is pretty tightly regulated with other autoimmune conditions. Once you have one, you're at a four times higher risk for developing another one. So things like rheumatoid arthritis, Sjogren's syndrome, lupus um, are all symptoms or are all autoimmune conditions. Wow, you've just opened my eyes to many things. It never even dawned on me in dealing in my own practice that someone who's had mm-hmm. multiple miscarriages or rheumatoid arthritis, mm-hmm. should, and it's such a simple test. It is. It is. It's such a simple test, and it can be so frustrating for clients, too. Once you know, I've heard this a lot from my clients, as I've suffered for so many years, and nobody has ever told me to get tested for celiac when it literally is a very simple, non-invasive test. Um, so it can be really eye-opening. There are so many conditions associated, and especially to like irritable bowel syndrome. Those symptoms overlap immensely with celiac disease. So anytime we look at trialing any type of elimination diet for IBS, we first always want to rule out um, celiac disease. Um, before looking at any sort of gluten and elimination diet. I wonder if, if, I don't know what it's like where you are, but I wonder if here in Ontario, if, if that can be requested privately, if you're not getting support perhaps from the, the medical end of your, of your health 
maybe you could request that uh, personally. Yeah, and I think in Ontario, and don't quote me because I'm not entirely sure, I think you do need to pay out of pocket for the blood screen test there. And if you if your doctor is not on your side, I think you can pay out of pocket. I think it's somewhere in the $100 range. Could be very well worth it. Very well Absolutely. worth it. So if you're if you've got so we have this condition of malabsorption leading to possibly leading to all of these things over time. Do you have a list of top supplements then that you would when you're when you're working with your clients, you're laying out a gluten-free diet which we'll get into in a second. Do you do you have like these are my top 5 you have to take supplements that you recommend them? Well, it's definitely, you know, dependent on the individual and where they are in terms of finances. So we sometimes we have to do a little bit of adjustments there. But ideally, you know, if I had my clients all on supplements, we would be looking at just a general high quality multivitamin with a good amount or 100% of the recommended dietary allowance for your B vitamins. And why B vitamins Uh, in specific? Because B vitamins are typically um, low in celiacs especially folate and vitamin B12. These would be two B vitamins that are commonly low. And the reason for this is because when people transition to a gluten-free diet, um, none of the gluten-free foods that people usually use, like gluten-free breads, gluten-free pastas, gluten-free cereals, are fortified with folate. Um, Whereas the gluten-filled counterparts, they actually are fortified with folate. Um, and folate can be another type of anemia. Okay. Um, so ongoing symptoms like being tired, brain fog, low energy can be a folate-related um, deficient, deficiency. Now, would you, repar- also, uh, would you recommend any sort of an anti-inflammatory? Is that worth it? Yeah, so definitely I, and I recommend omega-3 as well. Um, so because celiac disease is an inflammatory disorder at its root, we want to look at lowering inflammation. We do the best that we can with diet. Of course, diet is huge. We're eating every day, um, three meals a day at least, hopefully. So we can do a ton in terms of diet. Um, But definitely, if my clients can have an omega-3 supplement, I usually do recommend that. And alongside that, also a bone health supplement. Ideally with not just calcium, um, vitamin D, but also with magnesium and vitamin K. Okay. Now let's, let's talk to uh, people suffering with celiac right now. How would they transition into, if they haven't, you know, hypothetically, they've got the diagnosis of celiac disease. How do they transition? I guess they can't really transition. I guess it's pulling it right out automatically, but how Mm -hmm. would you suggest that they transition into this gluten free diet? Yes, that's a great question. I think the very first thing when you're first diagnosed with celiac disease, very first thing is learning um, what gluten is and how to get it out of the diet without even focusing so much on the nutrition part of it because learning where gluten is is very overwhelming. It's in a lot of foods. And so your first focus is just learning about gluten where it is, get it out of the diet, and learning about cross-contamination because that's definitely a huge thing that needs to be avoided um, at home as well as when you're eating out. I don't know if we covered this question, but can you explain to us what gluten actually is? Yeah, so gluten is a protein. So gluten is a protein found in glutenin and gliadin. Those are the two proteins in gluten. And they're found in wheat, rye, and barley, and all derivatives. Um, of those foods. Okay. Now, is Which gluten... Is in many foods. <laughs> and it cross-contaminates with many foods, as you said, and maybe we'll get into some of the key foods you're talking about. But is gluten known... You know, when you're dealing, telling someone to try and avoid their sugar, there are uh, 60 other different manifestations of sugar that you need to be aware of on a label. Is gluten known by any other name, or is it an, all labels identified as gluten? This is an awesome question because I get this from my clients all the time. And in Canada, we are very, very lucky with the labeling guidelines here. Um, So in Canada, all labels must identify gluten um, as five, these five words. 
So I always tell my clients to get these five words ingrained in your head, which is wheat, rye, barley, oats, and triticale. And that's it. And that's it. Absolutely. So if you're looking at a label and you're looking for gluten um, in the contained statement or the may contain statement, which are the allergen statements, or if you're going through the ingredient list, you're just looking for those five words. So a lot of the time for my clients, I get the question, well, how do I know that caramel coloring doesn't come from gluten? Well, if it did, it would have to be labeled in plain English in those five words because of how the labeling regulations are in Canada, which is very different from the States. Oh, it is different than the States. Well, uh, do you have any, any tips for reading labels in the States? So reading labels in the States, you need... It, it is different. So their gluten-free claim has was regulated, I believe, in August 2015 for wheat. So they can't have any wheat. Um, but they are still able to put barley and rye in some of their ingredient lists. So you need to be savvy and looking for barley and rye um, and their derivatives in the ingredient list. Okay. Now what about, I've read that there are some medications and supplements that also may use gluten in their in their ingredients. Is that something that you're aware mm-hmm. of? Yes. Oh, okay. So definitely supplements and as well as cosmetics, so personal care products, definitely can have gluten in them. So that's something that we, when we're looking at starting the gluten-free diet, we look at the food and then we transition and look at medications and supplements and personal care products. These do have different labeling guidelines, so it doesn't follow the same rules as food. So putting something that has gluten on your skin can be as can can trigger an issue as well? So not necessarily on your skin. If you have the external form of celiac disease called dermatitis herpetiformis, which is a type of rash, then definitely you can't have any gluten in any of your skincare products. If you're a celiac disease and you have the internal manifestation, so the damage in your small intestine, then you need to avoid anything that could be potentially ingested. So we're looking at lipstick, chapstick, potentially hand lotions. That's really important for kids because they always put their hands in their mouth, um, as well as toothpaste. Wow. It's, it's hidden everywhere. Oh, yeah. It's in a lot of foods. It's in a, it's lot, a lot of foods. Things. Now, yeah. some, some uh, people that I've worked with avoid oats in their diet. Is that necessary? So, yes, it is necessary at the beginning of a diagnosis. So typically, we remove even the gluten. So there's two types of oats. There's regular oats and gluten-free oats. Now, all oats are gluten-free. But what happens with regular oats is they're contaminated because they're usually grown in fields with wheat, rye, barley. And so they get, you know, mixed up in this facility and they're, they're contaminated. So not safe for celiac disease. So for celiac disease, we recommend gluten-free oats. And these can be introduced once your antibodies, which is that celiac blood screen, fall into the normal range. And how often do you recommend testing then? So usually we recommend testing once you're newly diagnosed, then six months after, then usually yearly, um, unless we have reasons to check more often than that. So, for example, from newly diagnosed, where we would look at reintroducing gluten-free oats, might be anywhere from the year to 18-month mark. Mm-hmm. And then we also want to be mindful of how we introduce these oats because oats are very high in fiber. So they can cause gastric distress oh. uh, if somebody is not used to a high fiber diet. So they might think, oh, I'm not feeling very well. I, it must be gluten. Okay. But it actually just might be the fiber content in there that's bothering their digestive system. So you want to introduce just small amounts of oats, usually two tablespoons, see how they do. And then we might move it up to a maximum of half of a cup of dry oats per day, no more than that. Do you pull people back on fiber who have uh, celiac disease? I definitely 
Do not. You no. do not. It depends. No, I. It depends on where their diet is. If it's a typical low fiber diet, I work at the beginning of trying to slowly increase their fiber, because that's a big problem with transitioning to the gluten free diet. Is fiber content drastically decreases. So maybe a supplement. And you and I probably both. Pardon. Would you Would you recommend a supplement for that, or is that again an issue with gluten? Any sort of a fiber supplement probably has gluten. Yeah, and I mean, fiber, you could do a fiber supplement, but definitely it's much more nutritious to do, to work with food, mm-hmm. food first as a food uh, approach. So that would be my preference um, of getting your fiber that way. So somebody, somebody um, just t- uh, tweeted in, they have a child that has uh, celiac disease. When you're dealing with a family situation, they want to know if you cook different for the child. And then you cook different mm. for the rest of the family, or do you guide your your group? I don't know if you've dealt with people like this. Actually, I'm just assuming. Yeah. Would you guide your family to eat the same foods together, or how? You, I think probably this is hearkening back to the question that you generally wouldn't pull gluten out. So I think the question yeah. is probably listening to to that end of our conversation. Would you recommend cooking differently for a family member who has celiac disease? Oh, that's an amazing question. And and I think one that a lot of people struggle with, especially once you're diagnosed with celiac. Certainly for the regular population, I don't recommend just going on a gluten-free diet. But if it's celiac, we have to, you know, chat with the family on what's the best way to avoid cross-contamination in the kitchen. So definitely, it's much easier and it can be healthy if you're doing a gluten-free diet in a healthy way the whole family can eat gluten-free. Now, this, again, it comes down to restriction of gluten. And in that respect, if a gluten-free diet isn't needed for the rest of the family, I usually say let the family eat gluten when they're out and about at family events and social events and at their school events and keep the household gluten-free. Good idea. It can be easier. Yeah. Um, Or the other thing is, too, is you can do different easy options for dinner, like making gluten-free pasta and regular pasta or having one little countertop with gluten toast, a gluten toaster and a gluten-free toaster on a different counter. Um, So it really comes down to what's going to work best for that family and how anxious and how worried the person is with celiac disease as well, because there's a lot of emotional consequences of the gluten-free diet too. We want to keep that into consideration as well. Emotional meaning labeling? They're, they're a celia? Are you talking in that respect with the emotional aspect of it? Yeah, there's a lot of mental health consequences. When you look at the gluten-free diet and people who have started a gluten-free diet, there's a lot of being left out mm-hmm. at social events and eating out and birthday parties where you can't eat any of the food. You need to bring in your own food and then you're kind of sitting in the corner eating your own right. little meal while everybody else enjoys the same foods and is chatting. And, and that can be very isolating um, and it can lead to depression and anxiety. And we actually know through research there is an increased um, amount of depression and anxiety in the newly diagnosed celiacs. I guess, you know, that does make a lot of sense. It's, I have a son who has a peanut allergy and... Um, you know, before before the schools banned it, it was he was had to eat alone, or if there was another child who yeah. had peanut allergy. Yeah, it is so many things. I guess with any disease, but you know, when it comes to the the social aspect of food, it does take you down a road where I can see where it would lead to, especially for a young one that really doesn't yeah. grasp the concept that you know it's a disease and it's you know it's manageable. But okay, let's then let's deal with that. Can you give us some suggestions on some? simple meals that can be either portable or simple meals at home that you would suggest people starting out with? Yeah, I mean, I have some favorite meals that I recommend to clients. One favorite one definitely um, is a loaded baked potato bar. Um, So this is taking like a yam or a sweet potato ideally because these guys are really high in B vitamins. Mm -hmm. You could also use a regular potato. You bake that off. And then you have a bar of toppings. Um, So I usually like to say a protein coming from maybe black beans or chickpeas, really high in fiber. 
then an array of produce, so maybe salsa, guacamole, cilantro, red peppers, whatever veggies you want, and then maybe some cheese if you want, and you top it all on the potato, and you have literally meal in a meal in about 10 minutes if you bake the potatoes off beforehand. And it works really well for picky eaters at home, too. Well, that's, it's, I guess it's a, it's a rethinking and a reworking, but dealing with whole foods and, and reading labels, and it's, it's doable, right, Selena? It's definitely doable. Oh, yes. It's an education process for sure. Well, that Absolutely. actually, you know, it's such a fascinating topic and it takes us actually, it's the time does fly by when, you know, I'm completely immersed in, in things that people are saying and, <laughs> and uh, I'm going to have to sort of cut us off here. But um, I want I want to give you just a quick tip of the day, and I'm not the expert on this for sure, but maybe, you can, Selena, you can just give me a, a yes or a no. But there are many products that you would be surprised uh, about that may contain gluten, like soy sauce, some gum, salad mm-hmm. dressing, and even um, the flavoring on some potato chips as well as some supplements as um, and medications as we're talked about. So... I, it's important for all of you who, who have to avoid gluten to definitely understand how to read labels. And we went over a bit of that. Um, Selena gave us some great, some great understanding of the Canadian labeling. So it's very important for you all to start reading your labels. And that's, that's sort of my broad-based tip of the day when it comes to, to dealing with celiac disease. Is that, is that pretty standard? Am I on the right track there, Selena? Yeah, absolutely. Label reading is huge. Really, yeah. really important. That's yeah, it's it's in all things too, but definitely if if you're if you're a celiac person, understanding labels is important. And definitely we've only scratched the surface of this topic. And Selena, her website is healthbean.ca, so not the healthbean. I keep wanting to say that when I'm thinking of it. Healthbean, H E A L T H B E A N dot C A. And you can reach her there. She's got a fabulous website with recipes and, and tips and a, a bunch of things. So do contact her. Do take a great look at her website. She's a, a huge resource for information on celiac and other intestinal issues. And that is our show for today, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Selena, for joining us. I appreciate the time you've taken. And we'll wrap. Yes, I will have you back on for sure, because as I said, it's a great topic. So we will um, wrap it up here for today. Thank you all for joining us. And we'll talk to you next week on The Health Hub. have been listening to The Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi, here on Radio Maria Canada.